Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Well, today we return to our ongoing conversation here at Discovery called Practice. In the Practice Conversation, we are looking at uh, classic spiritual disciplines or practices. This is our second year now on this adventure together. And every time we come to a new practice or we come back to a practice that we've looked at before, I find myself going, oh my goodness, we need this one more than ever. And that continues to be true this week as we look at the practice called solitude. These practices, these ancient rhythms continue to speak to our moment, our current moment in all kinds of fresh and important ways. Now, as a church, everything that we do is filtered through this calling to help people discover the good news of Jesus, right? That's who we are. That's why we exist. Our dream is to see God's shalom the kingdom of right relationships breaking into our neighborhoods and schools and classes, uh, our places of work, the, the communities where we do our hobbies. We want to contribute to the healing and flourishing of our community, our city, our county, and, and, and at the risk of sounding a bit audacious, even our world, right? But sometimes as a as a mission-driven community, we can get very wrapped up in our doing, right? The things that we do to accomplish that mission. And when we get caught up in doing, we can lose our grounding, our being. But in the person of Jesus, we see these two impulses brought perfectly together. Being and doing, activism and contemplation, mission and formation. They do not exist separately or in competition with one another in the person of Jesus. One flows into the other in this continual pattern of engagement and withdrawal. And so we want to follow Jesus, right, in his example here in who he was and how he lived as a, a, a fully human but also fully God during his time on earth. We are mission-driven and practice-driven, right? We want to love God with all that we have, heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also our neighbors as ourselves. The New Testament writer Paul says it like this. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Did you hear that language there? Work it out, for it is God who is at work in you, both at the same time. Our work and God's work. Jesus says it like this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person. We just spent a long time thinking about, talking about wisdom. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house 
on a rock, hearing and doing, action and contemplation, engagement and withdrawal, they go together. Now, one extra layer we, we've been looking at this year in particular is how the practices help tell a different story, right, than the stories that we are offered by the world. Sabbath, right, this uh, practice of setting aside a day, a, a chunk of time to disconnect from work and, and the busyness of life, it, it tells a different story about time, right, that there is different kinds of time. There are days that are not like other days. We looked at prayer and fasting, these practices that tell different stories about resources and energy and where we get that and, and who we trust and how we can use them to build God's kingdom. And now again, today we turn to the practice of solitude. And we're going to look about at how this practice also tells a different story. Now, solitude is an interesting one because again, this is the second time we were coming to it and the first time we came to it was a very memorable moment. It was in fact the first Sunday of the pandemic in the sense of the first Sunday where we gathered, uh, we canceled in-person gatherings, March 15th, 2020, a, a day I'll never forget. We threw together this live stream. The lighting was bad, the microphone was not great, it looked like we were in a bunker somewhere, but we pulled it off <laughs> and it got out into the world. And here we are, you know, what is it, 14, 15 months later, still working our way out of this, this time. We talked about how, like how interesting, right, it is that we had scheduled March 15th, 2020 to talk about the practice of solitude and here we are stepping into a moment where we need to be isolated from each other, right? We need to social distance and how, oh, maybe there's an opportunity here to lean into this practice, a moment that exposes the, the frantic pace at which we all too frequently live. And maybe there's a connection here. Maybe there's a gift for us in examining this practice at this particular moment. Of course, None of us knew that this was going to last as long as it did or that we'd still be in it, you know, at this point a year later. So a confession up front. Out of all the practices that we have looked at, this is the one that has been the hardest for me. Uh, in fact, my year of practicing solitude has just been downright terrible. Uh, it's been elusive. Um, it, it just has been a struggle. And part of that is we've just had so much time as a family together. And there's some really sweet things about that that I, I will treasure and do treasure about the last year. But it has made finding that time to be by myself and, and, and not just by myself to get like some work done or whatever, but to carve out that time to really be alone with God, it has not really happened. Certainly not in any kind of consistent, life-giving way. It's been a struggle for me. I also know, though, that for many people, it's almost been the opposite issue, right? This pandemic year has been a very lonely experience, deeper isolation and disconnection from community. So there's this weird thing that's happened to us, I think, in the last year. For some of us, we've grown over-connected, too connected, have had little space for solitude. And then others of us, we've experienced this profound 
loneliness and isolation. And so here we are again talking about solitude, which either feels like a mythical creature, like we're talking about Bigfoot or something like that, or it feels like a cruel joke. Like I, I already feel lonely, isolated, disconnected. Now you want me to make this a spiritual discipline? I would argue, though, my hope here is that it's actually for these very reasons. Overconnection, low connection. It's for these reasons, not in spite of them, that we need the practice of solitude more than ever. So for a couple of moments here, let's take a look at some patterns, a pattern actually in Jesus's life uh, that speaks into this. Uh, we're going to look at five different examples from the Gospels of Mark and Luke. Mark and Luke are two of the writers in the New Testament who tell us the Jesus story. We'll start with Luke chapter 4. This scene, very early on in the story, it, 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 it comes right after Jesus has been baptized. And that baptism moment, very significant, very powerful, very affirming for Jesus, God's Son. He immediately goes from this baptism moment into the desert for 40 days alone, fasting. This is where he is tempted by Satan to take three different shortcuts to accomplishing his mission. Jesus, though, resists each of those temptations, and then he returns. Verse 15 says, Jesus returns from the desert with power and conviction, and he begins to teach. And look at what he teaches. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of this is a reflection by the way, of the book of Isaiah. But Jesus goes from this intense 40 days of solitude to this incredible proclamation of good news, good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind. Mark chapter 6, another interesting scene following a big moment. This comes uh, right after Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Verse 45, Jesus then goes from this big moment of of ministry, teaching a huge crowd, a miracle that gets him a lot of attention. He sends his disciples away and he goes up on a mountain to pray. Spends all night praying and then he goes for a casual stroll out on the lake, like you do, and uh, sees his disciples are struggling to row their boat against the wind. Jesus' presence freaks them out, you know, as it would, of course, if you saw somebody walking on a lake, he calms the wind, they go to the other side, and what does he do there? Jesus heals tons of people. Prayer and solitude, all night alone, spending time with his father to this uh, very important moment with his team to then uh, this incredible ministry of healing lots of people. Luke chapter six, Jesus again goes alone to a mountain to pray, prays all night, comes down from the mountain and picks his team. This is where he names his 12 disciples. Again, right after this, begins healing people and teaching. And this teaching is, is a very famous teaching. Blessings and woes from the Gospel of Luke. Blessings on the poor, woes on the rich. So, time with his father, alone, in solitude, to time with his team, to then time for his mission. Luke chapter 9. Jesus, yet again, goes up onto a mountain. Are you seeing a pattern here? 
This time, though, he takes three people with him, Peter, James, and John. They all pray. And this is where Jesus' appearance changes. Moses and Elijah, two big characters from the Old Testament, show up. God speaks over Jesus, very similar to the baptism scene. This is my chosen one. Listen to what he has to say. Peter, James, and John are like, wow, this is incredible. Let's stay here forever. But they come down the mountain, and what happens? Right into the mess, the other nine disciples are unable to cast out a demon, and so Jesus does it for them. Retreat, mountaintop, profound experience with God to another healing and another miracle. Luke chapter 22, last scene. This is towards the end of the story now. Jesus uh, and his disciples are on a mountain, (laughs) the Mount of Olives. Jesus separates himself from his team and has this incredible conversation with his father. Do I have to do this? Do I have to go to the cross? The language he uses is is around a cup. Can you take this cup from me? Is there some other way to accomplish the restoration of all things, reconciliation with human beings? And of course, the answer to that is no. And then Jesus returns, rejoins his team. Judas betrays him. And then after that comes his trial, his death, and his resurrection. Do you see the pattern there? I mean, it should be clear by now, right? Withdraw, engage, retreat, ministry, contemplation, activism, solitude, into mission. Jesus' solitude, this protected space that he is so intentional about, where he prays and listens, where he sets up some boundaries so that his soul can be stewarded well. This leads him, this solitude leads him to engagement with the people in his life and the work that he's been called to do. And this is Jesus, right? The Son of God, perfect human being, fully divine, taking the time to protect his soul, his being. How much more than do we need this? There's a narrative in our culture that says you are limitless. Right, that you can do whatever you put your mind to. You just give more, do more, put a little bit more into it, be more connected, enlarge your platform, say yes to every opportunity, consume everything, download everything, watch everything. There are no limits, but that story does not honor the sacred gift of your soul. Your soul, the, the innermost reality of who you are, this tender thing that needs to be protected, that needs stewarding and careful cultivation. We hear a lot these days, right, about self-care. And I think there's some, some positives to that conversation. But I would argue that our cultural values, even around self-care, run counter to the protection and cultivation that our soul needs and desires. The world's tallest tree is a redwood tree. It's named Hyperion, which is an awesome name for a redwood tree. 
and it can be found in Redwood National Park right here in California. But if you go to the park and you talk to the right docent, and I know that you know what I mean by this, right? Like there's always that one person with just a little bit too much information and they're very proud of it. They will tell you that Hyperion is not actually the tallest tree in the world. That tree is somewhere else in the park and they don't tell you where it is. They keep its identity and location a mystery. So interesting to me. Why would they keep that tree a mystery? Probably because if we knew where it was, we'd build a road to it, we'd take pictures with it, and the sacredness of that tree would be violated. We might say it this way, that tree is holy, right? It is set apart and it is good that it is protected in this way. It is the same and more so exponentially for your soul. Solitude is not just a space to go to recharge your batteries so that you can run headlong back into the scrum of the frantic hyper uh, connectedness of our modern digital world. Solitude is a space to protect your soul, to protect a bit of that mystery, to recognize your limits, to have a space where not everyone else needs to be there, a, a space where you can honor the sacred gift that you've been given and commune with your Father. And then from that place, have something genuine and beautiful to offer the world. So I want to close here with a, a couple of invitations for us to consider around this practice of solitude. And I want to begin with the, the caveat again that for me, like as a, as a practitioner of solitude, this has been a disaster of a year in a lot of ways. So my first invitation is actually this. Uh, it's to you, as you have either tried things out this last year or as you pick up this practice again, what has worked for you? What has been helpful for you? Email those to me. I, I need some ideas. I want to learn from you guys. So please share some of those with me. Again, my email, steve at discoverydavis.org. Send those my way. That would be awesome. Now, for those of us, like myself, who have had a hard time finding any space to ourselves, my invitation to you, my challenge to you, is to take something that you are already doing and transform it into a solitude opportunity. Three things that, that I've done this with. Uh, washing the dishes, taking my dog for a walk, and then driving by myself. Could be, could be exercising, could be a whole bunch of other things, whatever works for you. And again, it doesn't always work for me, right? My kids interrupt me when they want, they want to talk to me when I'm washing the dishes, take my dog for a walk and I end up chatting with a neighbor. And then the reality of living in Davis is I don't do a whole lot of driving anyway. But those are three times where, you know, in the last couple of months in particular, I've been able to find some space to, to you know, disconnect from some of the noise to find that quiet inner solitude to talk to God and to tend to my soul. So what might that look like for you? Second or, or third really invitation here, and this is for those of us who maybe have been struggling with loneliness and isolation. Again, transforming some of that experience, right? 
uh, find a, a physical location, either in your house, in your backyard, in the park down the street, in the arboretum, like whatever it is, find a, a, a specific location where you can go. And it might be for 10 minutes, it might be for an hour, whatever the amount of time is, a consistent space where you can go where that is your solitude space. And so then it feels a little bit different, right, than maybe some of the other isolation that we have to deal with during this pandemic. Create that space, name that space, and then go there regularly with the express purpose of connecting with God and tending to your soul. And then the, the final thing, and this invitation is for all of us, and again, I don't have a good solution to this, but we have to have a reckoning with our screens. I, I just this last week in preparing for this, I started counting how many times I open up a laptop or turn on my phone over the course of the day, and I don't even want to share the number with you because it's so uh, troubling <laughs> to me. Um, and again, some of this is just the, the nature of our moment, right? We've been forced in front of screens during this pandemic, and so we need to give ourselves some grace here. But again, there's a reckoning, I think, that we need to make with our screens. We are not stewarding our souls well by going deeper into our phones, into our devices, into our screens. What can you do to create some screen-free space, screen-free zones in your daily life and rhythm. Now, as we get ready for communion, I just have a very short kind of uh, introduction to this. And then what we want to do is, is give you, it's going to be real short, but give you two minutes of solitude, even right now within the digital gathering. Two minutes of space, to just kind of begin that, taking a deep breath, disconnecting from all of the noise and voices and uh, opening up to the voice of God, to communion with God. The, the, this moment of communion, it's a celebration. It's a remembrance. It's about taking these tangible elements of bread and wine, cracker and juice, and remembering what Jesus has done for us. It also, though, is an opportunity to commune with God. So as we close our time together, as we sing this final song, as we take these elements and remember the gift that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ, life abundantly now and into eternity, take advantage of this moment of solitude, wherever you might be, to get into the quiet, to get into the stillness. And as you take these elements into your body to remember the grace and the gift that God has given us, again, in, his per, in the person of Jesus, but also in this soul, this life that you've been given. It is not limitless. It is to be protected and stewarded so that you can connect with God and care for the people in your life. So here's what we're going to do. You take those elements, you're going to sit here for a couple of minutes, enjoy this moment of solitude, and then we'll close our time in worship. Let me pray before we, we head into this. Father, we know that there are just a, a, so many voices, so much noise in our world. And it can be so hard 
to tune that out and to find the quiet that we need to hear from you. And yet, God, we need it. We desire it. We, we want to hear your voice. And so as we figure out what that looks like for us to have those moments of solitude, would you meet us in that place where it's just us? Our soul connecting with your spirit. In those places, would you speak your love and your grace and your peace? Uh, words of affirmation like you spoke over Jesus. This is my son. This is my child. They are loved. I am pleased with them. With those moments of deep connection, soul connection with you, then begin to shape how we approach and interact with our world, with our jobs, our families, the people in our lives. May that love and that grace and that peace then become a good gift that we can share with others. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.